Hi, I'm Ryan Barnes. And I'm Anakin Barnes. This is the Barnes Boys Podcast. We're both big movie fans. And we're both actors. We watch movies through different lenses. You see, my dad grew up in the 80s in a very conservative environment in California. While my son here goes to high school at a fine art school in liberal British Columbia. Each week we watch a different movie. And discuss it through the different perspectives we bring to the table. Since I've been born, CGI and quick cuts were the norm. Well, all we had were practical effects and converted theater actors. So sit back, relax, grab some popcorn, and enjoy the show. This week, we're looking at Police Academy, made in 1984, starring Steve Gutenberg, G.W. Bailey, and Kim Control. Directed by Hugh Wilson. A group of good-hearted but incom- incompetent misfits enter the police academy, but the instructors there are not going... They're not going to go put up with their pranks. <laughs> <laughs> very, very... That's a good summary. It's IM, IMDB right there. Um, so we that, uh, that brings us to our second movie with Kim Control, too. So mm-hmm. I think... Uh, I think... People out there are going to think we have a little crush. We're, we're setting up a theme here. We are. We are. Um, so, a little, uh, so a little bit of trivia about the movie. The director, Hugh Wilson, stated that when it came time to film the driving scene with Hightower at 2.30 a.m., the actor that's originally cast as the angry driver was found passed out drunk in the trailer. So Hugh had to play the role himself as the angry dri- driver that Hightower crashes into. So that's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um Let's see. After early test audiences responded most positively to Hightower out of all the characters, um, Bubba Smith was moved to second billing just behind Steve Gutenberg. Uh, Michael Winslow Jones, mm-hmm. um, David Graff, who plays Tackleberry, and George Gaines, who plays Commandant Lassard, are the only actors who appeared in all seven Police Academy movies. Yes, there are seven Police Academy movies. There wow. was also an animated TV show. Wow. Um, let's see. Winslow, Winslow goes a step beyond this as he is the only actor who not only appeared in all seven of them, but also had a regular role on the Police Academy of the series in 1987. I think that's the police, uh, the TV show, okay. or the animated one that I was talking about. Um, let's see. The term tackleberry has become a standard in the private security industry to denote an officer who is inordinately fond of firearms and other high-tech equipment. That's funny. That is funny. You're a tackleberry. I've I've heard that term mm-hmm. uh, before, um, and you you play a lot of airsoft. So yeah. do you ever do you ever hear somebody throw that up, throw that out? If somebody has a lot of uh, a lot of guns with them or anything. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a couple of couple of the guys there that are definitely tackleberries. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Uh, let's see. The last one. It's included among the American Film Institute's. Uh, the year 2000 list of 500 movies nominated for the top 100 funniest American movies. There's a lot of numbers in there, but nice. basically it's it acknowledges uh, one of the best American comedies. Yeah. So uh, and that is the end of our synopsis. So stick with us and we're going to uh, get into our viewpoints in just a moment. I, you know, I love that viewpoint intro because it mm-hmm. makes me feel like we're on SNL. Right. <laughs> so um, why don't you start us off with your first bit of notes here. Okay, yeah. Um, so Kim Cattrall's character in the back of the limo, um, she, there was Vivaldi playing and a cat on Mother's Lap. Like, why would you, why would you have a cat with you in... 
going taking your daughter to the police academy. That doesn't make any sense. See, I I think that's just the the um the putting in our the image in our heads that they're wealthy. Right. And so I I'm I'm kind of making fun of this, but mm-hmm. um for in in the eighties, that was the presentation um, that that you had. If if you were not among people of money, right. then that's what you thought they did. They listened to Vivaldi in the back of their limo, <laughs> and there there's this uh, there's this commercial um, called for uh, for a Dijon mustard called Grey Poupon. It was like a champagne Dijon mustard, and the commercial series there were always like one one person in the back of a limo, they're at a stoplight and they roll down their window and there's somebody else in, in the limo next to them. And then it said, pardon me, do you have any gray Poupon? Because obviously that's what uh, the, uh, the wealthy, the elite would do. It's, it's brilliant commercial because it makes you want to be part of that. Mm-hmm. So you buy the mustard. But, um, but that was the idea that was put out. And there was this, uh, there was this TV show, uh, Robin Leach's lifestyle of the rich and famous. And so, um, again, this was this was before before Instagram, before social media, before celebrities were just posting absolutely everything that they did. Right. And so it was this half hour show that was like a glimpse into into celebrities, um, the yacht that that they had or, or whatever. And it just he just go into all of these these details. But going back to to the scene. Um, as somebody in the eighties who who wasn't dripping with money, right. um, it was it was oh yeah this is this must this must be what uh, what rich people are like just riding around in limos with their with their cats and, and right. Vivaldi. So, so I kind of want to just go back a bit to the okay. very intro. Sure, um, it says March fourth of this year. <laughs> it is not a timeless movie. <laughs> no, it. It very it limits itself to the year nineteen eighty something, mm-hmm. um, but I thought that was kind of funny. March fourth of this year, March fourth of this year, we were in the middle of the pandemic. Right, right. It, it did not age well. No, as we'll see with a few other of our points. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I kind of want to bring up. Uh, I liked I liked all the like little backstories of how each character that we we see to like know and love how they got themselves to the police academy. Mm, okay. Yeah. Do you have an example that stands out? Um e- Yes, the how I forget his name. Uh Maloney, I think. Yes. Maloney. Uh he uh his little thing of how this actually kind of goes into a couple of my other things. Um okay. he he's working at a parking lot mm-hmm. where he parks people's cars right like a valet service or whatever yes but you're not eating um you can have your car parked for other reasons right um but he's I a, mean, especially if you're if you're posh and you have great poupon then right <laughs> <laughs> and so he was um he's working at a car lot and he's parking this guy's car and he called him like butt breath or whatever. Right, butt and breath. I I can't get over the the childish insults throughout <laughs> the movie, but um he calls him uh butt breath and whatever and Maloney is like just wasn't having wasn't wasn't having it and uh his boss told him to go park the car. Uh there's but he's like, There's not a spot. 
just go park it. And then he he pulls out, he, he pulls away, and then he comes back having the car sideways going to park it. And that's that's amazing driving. I <laughs> <laughs> Is this coming from somebody who's who's just got his permit and working on getting his license? So it, it does scare me quite a bit that that is your standard for what amazing driving is. Well, that that's <laughs> ha- there has to be some sort of skill there. Um, but and then and then he gets arrested for that. I don't understand why he got arrested for that because he was damaging property. Because he damaged that car, he damaged the other cars on the lot. Oh, so, I didn't see the car he was driving. I didn't see any damage to that car. Well, but. it landed on top of on top of the other <laughs> cars. So there can be an assumption there. Yeah. Um but yeah, and then we we didn't get to see uh Jones's backstory, but he he was one of my favorite characters in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um I like to think of him as the noise man. The noise man. Yeah. And that's what that's what he's known for. Um Michael Winslow is, is known for those sounds. He's He's been in commercials and in other movies, and mm-hmm. he's always doing the same thing. Um, no, we didn't, we didn't get to see his backstory, but uh, but he just made an example that uh, this is what he did, and he had this little megaphone that, that he had on him, and then he made his gun sounds. Right. So um, so actually, my next note is about Jones. Are you, are you still on the introductions, or are you no, ready to No, it's all good. Past? So when they, when they pull into the police academy, then in the in, – that uh, following scene, mm-hmm. you see Jones getting out with this huge boombox on his shoulder. Yeah, uh, big speakers, cassette player. Um, those that was around all the time in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at you look at movies and you think, oh, that's just something in the movies. No, I always had people with boomboxes, and the bigger the boombox, the cooler you you were. Right, I had a smaller one, and there's there's not the speakers themselves weren't that heavy. The um, the electronics weren't that heavy. The only weight were the D batteries that went in those things, which mm. made them super heavy and, and awkward to carry around. And uh, they are, they're often, they're always made out of plastic with sharp edges. And so you've got it up on your shoulder and it's digging into your neck. Yeah. So, um, so with those portable boom boxes also came the break dancing as, as people would bring that and all you need is a boom box and a piece of cardboard. And then, and then uh, you're up break dancing with your friends. So, right. Um, yeah, I've, I've seen that quite a bit, even when I was growing up. Obviously, boom boxes have changed mm-hmm. um, from the cassette players to CD players when I was around. Or right. Not when I was around. <laughs> I'm <laughs> still around. Still <laughs> um, when, I, when I was a kid, and now it's turned into these tiny little Beats pill um, Bluetooth speakers, which um, it's interesting that you say when when you were a kid that... The bigger the boombox, um, the cooler you were. Mm-hmm. My generation hates those kids. <laughs> we hate the p- kids who have speakers, just letting them play throughout the halls or sure. whatever. Oh, and I do too. Yeah, I do too. Um, we just, I, I honestly just don't like people who just play speakers mm-hmm. like out out loud. Like I get it when you're at the beach with some friends and you play it loud enough for you guys to hear. But okay, so since you say that. Um, Remember back in the days when people used to vacation and go on trips? Right. Yeah, it, it seems like such a long time ago. But in January, um, Amy and I were, uh, we went to Huntington Beach, and we, mm. were, we were just hanging out at the beach. Very few people on the beach. But um, 
but we sat down and we were just wanting to listen to the waves and, and relax. And, um, these girls, these teenage girls came and they set up shop right next to us. Then they pulled out their phone and turned on the, turned the speaker on to high and we're blasting some, it, it doesn't even matter that like what the music was, Mm -hmm. but it's, it sounds so awful coming out of that tiny little speaker on the phone. And, um, and it completely took away the relaxation that right. I had. I, I just started feeling stressed and tense and, mm-hmm. and it was annoyed and, and she was just blasting and then she would skip songs like every 20 seconds because she didn't have a Ridlin or whatever, whatever the issue was. Right. And, um, so, so yeah, so you say sitting, hang out with your friends on the beach, but please, this is a public service announcement. If you are the only ones on the beach, feel free to listen to your music. If there are other people next to you, be respectful because, um, I wanted to kick sand in her eyes and I wanted it to hurt. So, uh, all right, moving on here. Oh, um, I forgot to mention one more thing as they were uh, getting to the police academy. I forget his name. But the the guy whose wife was like super confer- uh, concerned about him going to the academy. Yeah, F- uh, Faulkner. Yeah, um, he his wife mm-hmm. just chasing after him yes. reminded me very much of uh, Ferris Bueller. Um, him running through the through the gardens that okay. scene when she was like jumping over the fences. Right, 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 right. And when he was at the end of Ferris Bueller, when he was trying to get yeah, home. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And she is so good at that. <laughs> and. <laughs> Honestly, she should join the academy. Right, right. Um, it's funny you say that because in Police Academy too, she does. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> he chases after her. Nice. <laughs> Spoiler um, alert! There. Yeah. So, um, also, the the academy looks essentially like a blue military. Okay, so I I did read this in the in the trivia section in on IMDb, but I didn't put it in my notes. But it was actually a. Initially opened in, I think it was 1937, as I don't remember the name of it, something lunatic uh, asylum. It mm-hmm. was basically a um, a house for for people with mental issues, right? Um, and then our mental hospital, and it went through different ver- variations of that. And then in the late, um, I don't know, I think the 60s or 70s, um, some some company took over just to allow filming, and mm-hmm. then. Right, and then after that, it became an actual college. So now it's now it's a college, but it was around just for filming of different things, hospital scenes, school scenes, whatever. Uh, before that, it was actually a uh, loony bin, I believe is how it was described. Nice. Yep. Yeah. Um, so we have uh, we have all of the all of the cadets showing up and then they're they're gathering together and we see copeland for the first time we're introduced to copeland and hightower in this scene Mm -hmm. and copeland is this um is shown as a racist and he he uses a lot of uh racist epitaphs in here Mm -hmm. and it's interesting because because looking at that now just with the culture i was like i can't believe it's it would be easy to feel like I can't believe they said that on the screen I whatever mm-hmm. but what they do is they 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 let him be a racist and they don't say they don't show it as hey this is being a racist is cool or anything they right. they make him look like an idiot mm-hmm. and and part of uh part of being a, a racist is not uh, is not a 
a hero or somebody to look up to, but it's a bubbling buffoon. So mm-hmm. that's a, that's a perspective that I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't feel like that was very common on the '80s, but but uh, but they actually they actually took a stand there while disguising it under comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. It was I? That that's a good point. It's almost um, like obviously it's not okay to say like those types of things, but they almost justified um, having the character say it by having him have consequences for that. Right. Right. And that's, that's one of the things I was, I had written down the, um, the constant like slurs and everything for not only like racial slurs, but the like homophobic stuff and all, all those types of things. Right. So I, um, I actually put a note in here for, for Harris, the, mm. the, um, Sergeant in charge of, of training them for, for Harris calling trainees fatso. Mm-hmm. Like that's not, that's not allowed anymore. That, that wasn't even allowed in 2001 when I was right. in basic training, um, is you couldn't, you couldn't insult somebody because of, because of their weight or the body type. Yeah. Um, and even though that's, that's been a, um, a big part of, of basic training, uh, for, for military, for police academies or anything like that, mm-hmm. um, that just no longer is, is allowed. And, and, right. And it's it's interesting seeing the difference on of what was okay then versus now. And, and as we talked about last week, it's it's not that uh, it's not that that everything was okay, but but as a society, what Western civilization and culture, mm-hmm. we are constantly making progress. Right. And we we didn't start out the best, um, or we didn't start out perfect, and we're not perfect now, and we're never going to be perfect, but we're always mm-hmm. making progress. So, uh, what do you, what else do you got in there? Um, again, the real mean insults, the rat face and <laughs> butt breath and all of that. Right. And, um, I thought it was just quite interesting to see, to see that was, although it's a, it's a rated R movie, it, um, for it's other things, but you look at that and see, huh, for a rated R movie, it's pretty PG with yeah. the, with the insults. Yeah, I thought I actually uh, I actually thought of that as well. That um, this so this is the only rated R police academy. All the others are either PG or PG thirteen. Once mm-hmm. PG thirteen became a thing, um, but they they had that R rating and they didn't need it because uh, they just wanted to put in put in a couple of the nude scenes and mm-hmm. um, I think they they dropped it, dropped one F bomb in there, which which right even. You know, 1984, they could have gotten away with a PG rating with that. They could have, yeah. Um, but uh, but they had that R rating, so they could have done so much more with the insults, and mm-hmm. uh, and they were, like you said, very childish. Um, one of the th- the next thing I have on my notes is is we walk around we're we're looking at the women's dorms, and we see Callahan, who's another one of the trainers. She is walking around smoking in the dorms. Now this was normal in mm-hmm. the in the eighties. You've never lived in a life like this, but uh, but smoking indoors was was everywhere in schools, in in restaurants, in dorms, in bars. I remember, I remember when I was young, I would go with my grandpa to the bowling alley. He liked to hang out at the bowling alley and hang out with his friends in the lounge and play keno. And we'd sit at the table and he'd just be smoking one pack after another, and I'd I'd be secondhand smoking the, the entire yeah. time and and. Uh, 
And that was normal. You go into a restaurant and smoking or non-smoking. And um, it, was, it was awful for especially somebody like me who, who cigarettes bother. Right. Um, and there, there was no escape from that whatsoever. But it was, yep. it was normal. People would come over and sometimes uh, just pull out a cigarette and say, hey, do you mind? And, or they'd light up in your car without even asking if you were mm-hmm. giving them a ride. And, and again, me not being a smoker, I'm like, dude, put that out. And I'd, I'd get upset, but, uh, but it was normal. It was very weird. Right. Um, yeah, it's not normal nowadays to be smoking inside. In fact, it's, I think it's illegal because of fire hazards, lung hazards, and all those fun mm-hmm. hazards. But... Um, I'm very used to people smoking because Fresno, where where I grew up, there's a lot of smokers. Right. Um, at Arisoft, there's a lot of smokers. At work, there's a lot of smokers. Mm. There's just smokers everywhere. Um, but yeah, the inside part, smoking inside, it, it was a very different thing. Right, right. Um, so since we're talking about the dorms here, and, and another thing about... Uh, Another staple about a rated R 80s comedy is mm. there's always some sort of nude shower scene in right. there. And it often doesn't make sense. Like in this particular one, the, the women's showers are on the basement floor with, with a big window um, right next to a main walkway. I was thinking about that. Why, why, <laughs> why would you put that there? Like, right. Yes, it's, it's rated R film, nudity and all of that, but still... yeah that that would i think that would happen that could maybe happen from a bad design and then within the first week that would would the windows yeah that would be found it would be a huge issue and and somebody would get fired about it uh, Mm -hmm. fired over it and then they would come up with something like like you said tinting the windows or putting a hedge there or something anyway um I think the I'm on my last page of notes here, but um, oh, if if you're if you're far into it, I've got a few things in the middle here that we yeah, can, go ahead. So, um, one of the things that uh, that stood out to me little be that's a little bit different, and um, this was kind of addressed in the opening in the opening credits. There was um, some some text that uh, that said the police. The whole premise for the for this movie was the police force is opening up to to all sexes and all um, races, and that it's it was kind of an issue, and police everywhere were, were angry that they're allowing women and and people of different uh, different ethnicities into mm-hmm. into the police force. So, um, interestingly enough, they they have Harris. In one of the scenes, he's he's saying you're going to ruin my chances of training some men who would be good cops. So did did you catch that? No, I didn't. Yeah, so it's he was very specific that it's that it's training men who's going to who are going to be good cops. He doesn't really care about about the women, and we only have we only have two women trainees in in this one, I believe, right. which is uh, which is Hooks, the soft spoken one, and she's used. In this movie, she's used more as a catalyst to mm-hmm. to bring to bring other scenes or other things um, into place. And then you have um, Thompson, who Kim Cattrall's character, who is the the uh, obligatory romantic right. uh, other other half. And so um, 
but yeah, it's still it's still a predominantly male um, male academy, and um, right. That's I I I can't I can't really speak as to if if that was the thought in the eighties or that was the the um expectation is that police officers were men because I was I was still a kid. So I, I don't I don't really know. But I know as a kid when I thought police officer it was always male. Right. And and generally and because I, I grew up in a in a pretty pretty white part of uh California. Yep. It was always a, a white male um mm-hmm. that that I would picture for police officer. Um and so but uh but that that made me think of that when I when I saw this. Ruined my chances of training some men who would be good cops. Yeah. Um and my next note here is a blue oyster bar. Now do you have anything on that? I didn't write anything down but I was hoping we would talk about it. Okay. Um so kind of the scene layout is um, the uh, squad leaders, I think. Uh, squad leaders, squad leaders are, yep. are addressed to find out where the party is. They find out where uh, or Maloney gives, indirectly gives them the wrong, mm-hmm. um, the wrong place on purpose because he obviously knows about the Blue Oyster Bar. Sure. And so they go to the Blue Oyster Bar thinking that that's where the party is going to be on their first uh, leave of absence. Mm-hmm. They get there. It's a gay club. Mm-hmm. Um, a bunch of, bunch of gay men uh, at a bar, because that's usually what a gay bar is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes, yes. And so they get there, and they're like, oh, this is not what we wanted. Uh, we thought it was going to be. They go to leave. The, the people, the... The men in there won't let them leave, and then cut to cut to them later, and one of them is confused on what's going on, and the other is just enjoying it. <laughs> and I thought that was pretty funny. Um, yeah. All right. So in the eighties, um, the uh, the LGBTQ. I'm sorry, I get the letters mixed up sometimes. I, I apologize, yeah. but um, th- that was not the not as prominent of a culture, or or and the the awareness was was so little at the mm-hmm. time, and so all um, all a lot of people had, especially those from small towns without that exposure, were were movies, and in those movies we get stereotypes, right? And so so they walk in and. It is a very stereotypical gay bar from from what a lot of us have just seen in the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, all they're all men in leather and chains, um, and it's interesting because if if you look at it look at it psychologically, they're shown as predators because these two guys walk in mm-hmm. and they're not going to let them leave until right. they have whatever way with them that they want. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's. Uh, that's a little bit. That's a little bit dated, right. I, I guess. And and um, so you you said that they're they're having a good time, but uh, but they're forced to they're forced to dance with these guys. Mm-hmm. Now I don't care if you're if you're gay or straight or any of the variations that, that mm-hmm. are that are now out there. If somebody doesn't want to dance with you, you're not going to have a good time. So, so <laughs> I, I understand it's a comedy. This is all yeah. for comedic value and comedic value of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but 
yeah, that's that's and that's that's something that um, features throughout the rest of the police academy movies. They keep revisiting um, the uh, Blue Oyster Bar, and it's okay. usually Copeland who ends up getting stuck there by accident. <laughs> he never learns. So, um, and I've got to, I've got something about the podium scene. Do you have the podium? Anything written down about the podium? Podium? No, I I don't. So, I'm. The the setup for the podium scene is um, Mahoney, our our hero Mahoney. They're they're trying to uh, a couple of the other the other cadets are trying to set him up, and so they they bring a prostitute into his room, and so he's trying to get rid of her and and, and hide her, and so um, so he's running around looking for a place to place to put her, and ends up being in the podium. In, in the uh, meeting room. And so then you have, of course, because being an R-rated comedy, then you have somebody coming up to give a speech in front of the podium and then um, I'll let your imagination take over if you haven't seen the movie as to what happens next. But uh, but I, the reason I bring this up is because that podium scene became a classic gag that, that's used in a lot of mm-hmm. different uh, different comedy things after this. And because of that, Churches who used to have that as a standard podium right. had to replace their podiums with the clear, clear, uh, clear <laughs> glass or, or just the single slat of wood going down the middle, um, to to prevent the the idea that anything bad is happening right. there. So it actually it actually caused a big a big problem. That's, that's uh, really funny. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, let's see. Oh, uh, one thing that uh, that I I noticed too was the the police business. There was a scene where where uh, Captain uh, I said Sergeant earlier. I think it's Lieutenant Harris. Lieutenant, yes, yeah. Lieutenant Harris commandeers a motorcycle. Now you see that happening a lot in movies. You don't see it happening in movies so much these days, mm-hmm. but it happened a lot in in eighties movies and nineties movies. Movies like uh, like police. I need your car. I need your motorcycle. I need your mm-hmm. boat. Whatever. Right and did you know that that's actually um, that's actually a thing mm-hmm. um, in the U.S. Uh, or in parts of the U.S., California being one of them, um, and in Canada, if a um, if a policeman needs a police person needs your needs your vehicle, they can take it from you. Mm-hmm. And but they ha- it has to be it has to be a reason. It has to be. Uh, not just they're they're going to take it, but somebody has to be in danger, or there has to right. be like a legitimate emergency. Which, of course, at the time, they there's not time to prove, and so right. that that makes it that makes it a little uh, a little difficult. But um, the tricky part is if that vehicle gets damaged, it is a huge, huge, difficult process to, and it's a big fight with the insurance company to get reimbursed for that damage. Right, and so. And so, um, police uh, police stations or police districts actually have a budget for for that uh, wow. to replace the value of of um, damage that's that's done. Actually, you know what in um, in the Marvel universe they actually they talk about that with um, with all the collateral damage that was that was right. done. Right. Yeah. And also um, also in um, Dawn of Justice, Batman versus Superman. Um, when they're talking about um, all the all the damage that was done because of the fight, mm-hmm. or was it 
was it that one or was maybe it was the Justice League? I don't remember. The the DC movies kind of just jumbled together in my yeah. head. But anyway, um, the collateral damage done for official official business and the fact that uh, somebody's got to pick up the bill for that. But you can be you can be fined if uh, if a police officer comes to take your whatever and, and you say you say no this is my car my boat my motorcycle whatever right uh, you can so you have to weigh out in that instance whether it's worth the fine or worth the risk of losing losing your property right um, so that it's kind of sucks yeah um i kind of want to go and touch on another ferris bueller reference that i okay. saw yeah. with um so after the Blue Oyster Bar, the uh, squad leaders go up to uh, Barbara, I think. Okay, yes. Um, and they're both wearing robes. One of them wearing a Ferris Bueller robe or house coat, if you will. I just thought. I like huh. to point out references. Right. Yeah, no, I didn't notice that. Yeah. Okay. That's funny. I think uh, I actually think Ferris Bueller was written after this. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be that they were taking parts from different comedies. Um, that was a, that was a John Hughes movie. I think Ferris Bueller's day off. Um, but it could be that they were taking parts from other comedies and, and building that. So that's interesting. This was laying the groundwork. Cause this is 1984. I believe Bueller was in the nineties. I believe no, <laughs> it was in the nineties. Uh, but it was, the, it was the later half of the eighties. Okay. Um, hmm. let's see. Um, oh, and then there was a scene where Hightower was driving Copeland's car, that tiny little blue car. That was my first car. Uh, <laughs> that was, that was the first car that I ever had. Mine was yellow, but it was the same year, same model and everything. And so he's, he's whipping it around and I'm like, I, it drives just like that. Yeah. I've been able to handle that car like that. So, nice. so the, the most people that I've gotten in the, in that car was 10 at once. Wow. Um, it, it it really was like a clown car. It's this tiny, tiny, tiny little thing, uh, tiny little Honda Civic, and um, and we had ten people in it. Up when I was working up at Hume Lake, and we we're all the staff there. We were going up the hill to somebody's whatever somebody's mm-hmm. party, and so we get got ten of us in the hill, and it's a little manual transmission, and so I I couldn't get past first gear. I know you've you're only familiar with automatic, but I couldn't get it out of first gear because there was so much weight in that little car. Wow. (laughs) It's kind of funny. Um, let's see. My last note here was talking about the riots. Mine too, actually. Okay. Um, mine is the way that the riot started is kind of funny because sometimes that's how riots start. Yeah. Go, uh, explain. So, um, one of the officers, um, was with a on a ride along with one of the higher ranked officers. The high ranked officer gives him an apple, and he's like, "Oh, thanks!" Throws it out the window. Um, oh, there's a bit more to backstory to that. Um, so these guys, uh, the the cadet officer is just sitting in the car, and these sketchy guys come up to him and trying to intimidate him. And the high ranked officer comes back. They walk away. He's like, oh, thanks, throws the apple, hits their heads. They turn around to see some other guys just carrying apples, like a bag of apples, Mm -hmm. a comedically sized bag of apples, (laughs) and starts eating uh, and, like, sees them eating it. And they're like, oh, you are the one who threw the apple at us. And 
then got into a fight, and then it just escalated throughout the little block there. And then some guy just yelled, free TV, free TVs, and then people started looting, and then there's a riot. Right. What I wrote was uh, was one guy got hit, uh, like uh, the one who, who flies, a random person flies through the window of a bar, mm-hmm. and then suddenly everybody in the bar starts fighting, and the yeah. whole town erupts just like that. Classic eighties riot, and yeah. and like you said, uh, I, it's probably likely that a lot of riots start like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, anyway, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, so it, it's a, it's a fun fun flashback into into eighties comedy, and so um, this one this one was one of those few movies that that have I wouldn't say that it lasted because the content was was pretty dated, but but most people have seen this movie um, because it's one that keeps coming around. Yeah. So did you have any more notes there? No, I didn't. Okay. So I think uh, we're going to take a quick break here and then come back and finish it off. Yeah, thanks. That's it. Thanks for listening to The Barnes Boys. If you have any thoughts or memories about this movie or have a movie suggestion for us, you can tweet us at BarnesBoysCA. Tune in next week as we bring you the mystery. The thriller, the classic, the comedy clue. Our theme music is written by Ryan M. Barnes at www.silvertooth.org. Have a great week.